Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Pastor Josh Karstensen is continuing a series on John, where we see how the good news, meeting the resurrected Jesus, dramatically changes lives. Mary Magdalene went from mourning to rejoicing. The disciples went from being terrified to peaceful. And Thomas went from disbelief to belief. If you are a follower of Jesus, how can you show with your life how Jesus has changed you? After the message, you're invited to answer some application questions, which you can find on our website right under the worship service video. Now, here's today's teaching. Our vision is pretty clear. It's pretty simple. Uh, It's one that we talk about a lot here, to to love Jesus, uh, to live like Jesus, to make him known. If you're wondering how I got that, it's, it's right here. It's pretty straightforward. But, uh, you know, if, if you've been around for a while, you also know what the asks with those are. Um, so it, this is our vision, but it's also our mission and it's our discipleship process all together. So we believe in a kind of a simple plan for how we do things around here. And so to love Jesus, there's, there's kind of two basic asks that we talk about here at church. And, you know, again, if you've been around here a while, you kind of know what these are. Um, but I would just say, just hone in and listen to our vision here for just a minute. To love Jesus, uh, we have two primary asks. The first one is that you would commit to church. And, you know, we, we kind of made this, uh, this vision a couple years ago. You know, obviously it's, it's a vision that's consistent with churches for thousands of years. But uh, we kind of built some language around it. And, and to commit to church um, really is important. Like committing to a church family. Obviously, a lot of you guys are bought in, you're here, you believe in this, um, but it's important that we gather. I mean, a lot of you right now, you're gathering with us online. Thank you for joining us. You're, you're part of what we're doing here, even though you're uh, away at the moment. But we believe that God has created uh, mankind to belong to one another in a place like this, where not only are we opening up his word every single week, which is primary, it's, it's our instruction in how to live. It's, it's kind of the, the rule of life that shows us who God is, but we also gather um, to worship God, to say, you are God and I need you. It's not just a place to gather information, right? Because the reality is there's so many good places to gather information today. You can log on to incredible theologians and Bible teachers and, and just get information. And so we know that this gathering is not just about information. It's about being a part of a family. And so we talk about committing to church. That's important. The other thing that we talk about is practicing the spiritual disciplines. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And, and it's kind of weird language, if you will, in some ways. But basically, it's engaging in ancient practices that people have been doing for thousands of years. Things like Bible reading and prayer and practicing Sabbath and practicing silence and solitude and radical generosity and radical hospitality. We believe that these are things that you can do that put you in place uh, to really uh, connect with God and kind of live the life that he's called us to live. And we see him doing this, and the invitation is for us to do it as well. There's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, some of you, you got that John journal. Who has a John journal with them today? Please, someone. My wife. Okay. Thank you, my wife. Lori Coiner. I saw two people. Awesome. Okay. You know, it's a start. It's a start. I like this. But we, 
we have this journal that basically goes along with Sundays that says, you know, primarily we can learn right now, but we believe that uh, this is just a launching point to get into God's word later in the week. I love uh, our youth pastor. He's with our kids right now. Um, last night we were, we were talking, it's pretty late. We were here and he was shooting a bow and I was studying naturally, but he said, man, I hope our church is just as excited to open up their Bibles on Monday morning as they are on Sunday morning. I said, man, you got to preach. That's a good word. And so we believe in practicing the disciplines. Uh, additionally, we talk about living like Jesus, right? This, this whole year, our theme has been live, defining what it means to live. So what does it mean to live like Jesus? Obviously, there's thousands of ways that we can live like Jesus, but we have two primary ones. And, and the first one is we're, we want to be a people committed to belonging and community with one another. Uh, something that we're going to be talking about in the fall um, is uh, how God calls us to be in relationship with people. And over the last few months, I have had many conversations with people who are really living in isolation. You know, they're, they're not, not just, you know, social isolation uh, in terms of COVID, but like relational isolation. I have talked to many people through tears saying like, there is no one who truly knows me. There's, there's no one that I can call who, who, will, who can converse with me about what's going on in the depths of my heart. We have, this is an epidemic in and of itself. We are a socially isolated people of the worst kind. And so we want to be a people committed to community, committed to opening our lives to each other. And I know that that's hard. I mean, the reality is like we can say, yeah, we need to do this, but it's really challenging. And so we're going to talk about how to kind of uh, combat that in the fall. That's one of the the themes going into um, our fall is really making sure that we are connected to one another. One of the primary ways that we do that, obviously, is is community groups here, small groups that meet together in homes throughout the week. And uh, we're going to be launching those again, end of September. You'll hear more about that to come. But man, we believe that we are created by God to be known by each other, and our world is creating everything uh, is, is really not helping us do that well. And so as Christians, we're trying to uh, move against that trend. And then Jesus calls us to live like him is to serve. You know, and, and we're to be a people who aren't about ourselves. We're to be a people like Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. And we believe that that's so important. You know, and I just, I love our church early this morning. I don't know how many people were here in our prayer circle. Um, a lot of people, I don't know, 40 some odd people serving this morning. Uh, we talked about just last week our need for another 20 some odd people. And that's on top of the hundred people who serve in children's ministry. We're trying to get our kids going. We're trying to get Sunday mornings going back again in the fall, kind of full swing, multiple services. And we just need people. And serving clearly is way more than just Sunday mornings, but that's a simple way to get involved in serving. But again, we want to be a people who are all about serving. And then lastly, and this is going to really be uh, our theme for this next year, is making him known. Uh, we're, we're kind of pushing into that third part of our vision next year. Uh, just sneak peek, little, uh, little uh, announcement about our, our theme for next year. This year, our theme has been live. Next year, our theme is going to be full send, all in, making Jesus known. We're going to be talking a ton this next year about what does it look like in our lives to be all in, to full send for the gospel of making Jesus known. And so we want to be a church that commits to a lifestyle of making Jesus known. At the end of the day, I would say if you're kind of bored with your faith, if you're in a spot where you're going like, yeah, I don't know if, uh, if this whole Jesus thing is, is everything that I hoped it would be, my guess is you're, you're not doing all five of the asks. Because at any given moment, if you're loving Jesus, living like him and making him known, your life will be anything but boring in your spiritual walk. I promise you that. And uh, just the invitation here is if, if you're not doing any of those, we would invite you. Join us in that. 
Uh, if you are doing those, you know what that life feels like. It is a full life. It is an abundant life. It is a tiring life, but it is a life of relying on Jesus. And my goodness, it is a life that is worth it. So we just invite you to join us in that, in our vision and mission of loving Jesus and living like Jesus and making him known. Now to open up our Bibles for today, you know, some of you are wondering, okay, we're, we're at resurrection. Like, let's, let's get there. Stop talking about this vision and mission. Well, you're welcome because vision and mission are important. But let's open up to the book of not John, but Isaiah. We're going to start out in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to go about 700 years before John here. We only have two weeks left in John, which is kind of wild. We've been in the book since December, I believe. And we've got today and we've got next Sunday, we're wrapping up the book. And, you know, you get to John 20 and, you know, as a preacher in a lot of ways, it's kind of like, oh, this is the passage that we have to preach on every year for Easter. What do I say? Um, But my goodness, there's some amazing things that we're going to see throughout uh, John chapter 20 today. But I wanted to start a few years earlier. I want to start a few years earlier because ultimately John starts a few years earlier, and we're going to see this earlier in chapter one, but 700 years prior, Isaiah has some words to um, a people who are really hurting. Uh, this is a nation who's pretty war-torn. This is a nation who, who sees and longs for a future that they do not have. And Isaiah gives kind of a double promise um, to a people about 200 years into the future and then another group of people ultimately that you and I are a part of. And so we're going to open up these words in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1. And to honor God's word, I am going to ask that we're going to stand. We're going to read John 40 together. Not the whole thing, but just this opening piece. Um, We stand to honor God's word. We recognize that this is the most important part of what we're doing this morning as people for centuries have been reading this. So I'm going to read this starting in verse 1 of chapter 40. I'm going to read all the way through verse 5. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. Here's Isaiah. Like I said earlier, he's speaking with kind of double meaning in mind. He's speaking to a people a few hundred years in his immediate future, and then he's speaking to a people much further along. Uh, This is a people who, where they are right now, is not where they want to be. Um, they have been taken from their country. If, if you know the story of Israel, they've been taken from ba- they've been taken from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. They're in Babylon, and and ultimately they are an enslaved people. They don't have the freedoms that they once had. They don't have the freedoms to worship. Uh, their primary church, their temple, has been destroyed. And there are people who, from where they're sitting right now to where they want to be, there is an absolute chasm that they do not know how they're going to get from where they are to where they want to be. 
There, there's huge distance in between them and their future. The emotional space, the physical space at some 80 miles, but really just the emotional, the mental space of where they are, of being in captivity to where they want to be, being free, being with God, uh, is seen as a tremendous barrier, a huge hurdle that they have no idea how they're going to get back to where they want to be. Right? Uh, Isaiah talks about this in a physical analogy, and he talks about the distance between Babylon and Jerusalem. And he says, when God comes, he's going to make that distance a highway. It's going to be a super highway. He's going to take away every obstacle to get from where you are to where you want to be. Some of the obstacles he talks about here, he says, yeah, there, there may be mountains. God's going to level the mountains. He talks about there's going to be valleys, but God will raise up the valleys. It feels like there's a desert, but God's going to make a highway. Where there's rough places, God's going to make it smooth. Right? Some of us know what it's like in life to be not in the place that you want to be in. Right? We, we know where life is right now, and, and we know where we want to be, but sometimes we, we recognize where we are and where we want to be. There's a lot of stuff in between. Right? I, was, I was talking to a guy yesterday, a guy I've only met a couple times. We spoke on the phone for about an hour, and uh, initially we were talking about something completely unrelated, but some really huge challenges came up in his life, and he was talking about uh, just marriage and life, and he's saying, Josh, I, I know where I currently am, and it's not very good. He says, I know where I want to be, and man, that feels good, but I don't know how to get from where I am to there. Right? A lot of us know that feeling. We, we know the feeling of, man, what does it look like for my kids to be where I want them to be? Because where they are right now, man, it's just not where I want them to be, and that hurdle in between seems pretty big. Right? Maybe in our own relationships, maybe with our spouse, maybe with a coworker, maybe with siblings. Man, can I get an amen for challenges with siblings? Anyone? Yes, I'm joking. I love you, my sisters. We're good. Like, seriously, there's no tension there. But I know families, and I'm not ignorant to the reality of how hard that can be. Right? I know the reality for a lot of our, our jobs is just like, man, where we are right now and where we want to be, some of those challenges seem insurmountable at times. We all know what that's like. feels like there's so many barriers at times that we can lose hope. But here's Isaiah in the middle of this, and he makes this promise to this people, primarily, again, this people who are exiled. And he says this. I'm just going to read it one more time. I will make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Basically, and when God does this, you are going to recognize this, and you are going to thank him for it. And all flesh shall see it. Everyone's going to recognize this, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Right? He, he says this is going to take place. And if you know the, the rest of the story... Uh, at, at least as far as Jerusalem goes, this promise that Isaiah makes comes true. Because a few years later, um, uh, Babylon is conquered by Persia, and Persia man, gives them the full royal entrance welcome back to go rebuild everything. Uh, the king says, yeah, go ahead, go back. And, and he gives them kind of the treasury of the, of the country. Hey, I'll give you my protection. I'll give you the resources. You go and you rebuild. And so to follow that country, um, this promise that Isaiah makes comes true. 
But there's also a double meaning because he's talking not just about that country. He's talking about a time to come much further than that. And ultimately, that is when Messiah is going to come. That is when this promised Jesus is going to come. And so we're going to see this in John, the same promise that was referred back to in Isaiah, where John the Baptist gets on the scene in the very beginning of this book that we've been studying. And he's saying, hey, someone's going to come and is going to uh, essentially level out the gap between where we are in knowing who God is and being where our hearts all long to be. And that is knowing God and that is being with him. And ultimately see this introduction in John chapter 1. It's an introduction that we didn't talk a ton about back in January, back in December, but I'm going to just open up a couple of words that we saw all the way back in John chapter 1. So if you got a Bible, go there and let's see the fulfillment of this promise that was made from Isaiah that John the Baptist ultimately begins and that we're going to see Jesus in his resurrected life. Today, we're going to see three different stories of how Jesus takes people from where we are to where we want to go and how ultimately it took his life to smooth out that in-between of where we currently are and where we all long to be. So in John chapter 1, John the, the apostle John, the friend of Jesus, he's referring to John the Baptist here. And in John chapter 1 verse 23, here's John the Baptist saying, I am that voice. We read this, he says, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He says, I am that voice who's saying, prepare yourself because one is coming who will do what? Who will lift up every valley. One is coming who will level out all the uneven ground. One is coming who will smooth the rough places. He will take us from where we currently are to where our hearts long to be. And then he spells out theologically how that's going to happen. We got to rewind just a, a couple of verses in verse 16. We see the theology. So what John does, which is very different than some of the other um, really New Testament writers, is John, he gives his theology up front, and then he gives the life of Jesus through his life to show his theology from the beginning. So listen to his theology about who God is, who Christ is, and what he does for us. Starting in verse 16, he says, from his fullness, we have all received. So this is from Jesus's fullness, from his life, his death. We have all received grace upon grace. Now listen carefully to verse 17, because this is that spot that we're all living in at some level that we don't want to be in. It says, for the law was given through Moses. We're going to talk about for a second what it means to live under the law. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Here's John saying, we all long to see the Father. We all long to be in this place where we're in God's kingdom, where he knows us, where we know him. But currently, a lot of us are, are living under law. What does that mean? You know, it's very Christian language. Oh, you're living under law. I mean, I don't know that we use that in kind of, kind of everyday conversation. But he's saying, we all live under the idea that we know what is right ultimately very often. We know what is wrong and we live under a lot of guilt because very often we do what we ought not to do, right? So we live, a lot of us, we live in shame. We live in guilt because when there's that distance between where we are and where we want to be, we feel that, we know that. And oftentimes, um, you know, we feel that condemnation. You know, if we're not a believer at all, we live under that condemnation because if we're not doing what we ought not to do, there will be punishment. And so that's what living under the law is like. And we know what it's like to live with kind of that shame and guilt, right? When we're not, when we're not the spouse that we know we should be, we feel that weight, right? When we're not the friend that we know we should be, we feel that, 
right? When we're not the parent, man, my wife and I had an epic parent fail this week that I will not repeat up here. But man, we feel that as a parent, you're just like, oh, where I am and where I want to be, there is a chasm, man. So we know what it's like to, to live under law, but what John says, he says, hey, one is coming who is ultimately going to eliminate that chasm because he gives grace upon grace. So Christ comes and he takes us away from the law and he gives us grace. And then for the rest of the the story, for the rest of the book that we've been in for now some eight months, we see what this looks like in the, the human form, not just in the word form. We see what grace upon grace looks like as Jesus interacts with people. And I love today, as we're going to open up John 20, and I promise we're going to open it up here, and I promise we won't go 40 minutes like we did last week. I got in trouble for that. But um, I know we're on pace to go a little further than I wanted, though, but you're welcome. So um, what John does here is he shows us the post-resurrected Jesus, and he shows us in human form, in relationship form, what happens when Jesus closes that gap between where we are and where we want to be? We're going to see this in three different scenes. It's pretty interesting. There's three very distinct scenes, and it's not a mistake that John picks out these relationships. We're going to see in the relationship with Mary Magdalene, someone who ultimately is mourning to someone who starts to rejoice. We're going to see in the scene where Jesus meets with his disciples after he raised from the dead, where you got a bunch of people who are absolutely afraid to a people who ultimately receive his peace. And then we're going to see in the scene uh, of Thomas, where someone is struggling with doubt, with insecurity. We're going to see where Jesus takes us from doubt to a place of belief. And so to do that, yes, I promise you, we will get there. John chapter 20. So let's open up to John 20, starting in verse one. We're going to look at three different scenes here. And today we're going to move a little bit quicker, just looking at how Jesus takes different sets of people from where we were without him to where we are with him. Starting in verse one. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. We're going to pause there. Now, there's a lot of reasons why people believe that Mary came to the tomb early, um, I believe she was by herself. There's a little bit of debate. Maybe there were some other women with her there. Perhaps it was the case, but um, she's going early, most likely because when Jesus was killed, he was killed Friday afternoon, um, and ultimately he dies, and they kind of have to rush to get him uh, to a tomb before Sabbath begins. Um, so Sabbath is the next day. Sabbath starts ultimately um, at day uh, whenever the sun goes down. And so they're trying to hurry up and, and get Jesus where, in, in a tomb. And so it's likely that not all the preparations for his body were done. And so they have to take a break on the day of Sabbath, which was that Saturday. And ultimately she likely was going there early to finish up some of the burial preparations. So, so she's there, she's mourning, she's hurting. Um, a, lot, a lot of times there would have been um, about a seven day period where anyone close to the person who was killed would have been mourning. Um, For about the first three days, people would have visited the body or visited the tomb. So this is not out of place by any means for Mary to go. But it seems like she is alone. And if she was with other women, John doesn't make that explicitly clear. We're going to pick it up and see what happens as she visits the tomb. So while it was still dark, so it's early on Sunday morning, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, you got to love how John perpetually refers to himself that way. And said to them, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So ultimately Mary goes and she sees that Jesus is gone and she goes back to tell her friends. Uh, this would have been Peter and John, the, the guy who's writing this. And, and they, they run back to the tomb. Again, I, I do love how John in his writing has to tell everyone that he got there first, a little bit faster runner than Peter. But they get there and, and they recognize, okay, Jesus isn't here. And it says that they believed. And man, I I so wish, there's so many times in the Bible where I wish um, that writers would give a lot more of the dialogue about what was taking place. But we really don't get any of that. It just says, they saw the tomb was empty, they believed, and they went back. Um, but Mary's still there. We, we don't know the conversation that Mary has with Peter and John. I, I wish we got some of that someday. I'd, I'd love to hear that from Mary's mouth herself, and maybe I'll get that opportunity. We've got a long time in eternity coming. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked. But, um, so she stays she stays back. Peter and John are gone at this point, and she's still weeping. We see this starting, I believe, in verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Now, to understand kind of where Mary's coming from, you got to know a little bit of the story of Mary. And we know, we actually know quite a bit about Mary, really more than most disciples, um, other than maybe Peter, James, and John. We know a whole lot about Mary in a lot of ways. Um, Historically, I think she's been given a little bit of a bad rap, and and, and perhaps she has um, falsely been accused of of being a prostitute at one point, and and likely that is not true. Potentially that is true. You, You can read about it in study Bibles and so and such. But at the very least, this is what we know about Mary. We know that she has experienced extreme physical, spiritual, probably, um, well, absolutely emotional trauma. And we know this because in Mark 16 and back in Luke 8, and Luke 8 has a little bit more description than the Mark passage, we know that this is a woman who has been um, possessed by a demon. Uh, we know that potentially there were, well, we know that there were seven of them. We don't know if that this happened all at once or if there was like a long history of, of multiple demons at different points. And I know in our culture, in our world, that's really hard to get our mind around. Like, what in the world is that all about? And I can tell you personally, I've ex- I have witnessed people in this position. And I will say at the very least, you're talking about someone who has a ton of trauma. You're talking about someone who has um, just experienced hurt and pain and social isolation and shame like most of us could never imagine. It's insanely traumatic. But Jesus meets this woman. He heals her. He delivers her. He gives her freedom. And we see that she dedicates the rest of her life to following him. It's most likely that she comes from a family of means and so you, you got to believe that her family was a wealthy family. And we see this, we can make this correlation again. I think it's in Luke 8, because I, I love this description. It's talking about all the disciples. They're moving around all these different places. And then it talks about this list of women who go along with them. And it says that the women were the ones who are actually paying for everything and providing the means for this trip out of their own pockets. So potentially this Mary at one point came from a well-to-do family, um, was ostracized from her family because of this uh, physical, emotional, uh, mental trauma. But Jesus restores all of that. And she gives the rest of her life to following Jesus. And we see that she's going from place to place to place. She was there with him at the cross. And she is the first one there with him at the tomb. So that you can just imagine just where she was before Jesus, 
where she was with Jesus and really the insane amount of sorrow and hurt and loss that she experienced when everyone and everything that she believed in came crashing to the ground because this Jesus was now killed. So let's pick it up and see how Jesus responds. Starting in verse 11. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. So here she, she sees Jesus. This is the Jesus that she knows. This is the Jesus that gave her her new life. This is the Jesus that took away her shame. This is the Jesus that took away all of her trauma. This is the Jesus who gave, who, who ultimately like completely narrowed the gap from where she wanted to be, from where she was. Meeting the post-resurrected Jesus changes everything for her. It restores all the hope that she had, that he had given to her when he gave her this new life. Meeting the resurrected Jesus made her from a place of, man, I don't know what's going to happen to my life. This new life that I had that I thought is all gone because Jesus died to, no, man, this is completely what I thought it was. Jesus, you are God. She goes from mourning to rejoicing. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine just seeing him in that moment? And I think it's beautiful that the first person that Jesus reveals himself to is this Mary. Is this person who was rejected, who was outcast in a culture where women were not regarded as much. Jesus sees this woman and he says, I see you, I value you, I love you, I'm giving you my life. And what you thought you had, you have because I've come back. Now to the next scene starting in verse 19. We see that Jesus is going to show himself to his disciples here. We see this on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I mean, before this moment, you, you got to believe that the disciples were absolutely terrified. They're dismayed. They're trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? Because everything that I was hoping for was taken away from me. Have you ever been there in life? You ever been in that moment where everything that you had been working for for a long time was just taken away from you like that? Right? Maybe it's, it's hearing the words from a spouse, man, I, I think this might be the beginning of the end. I was just talking to someone recently this last week, just hearing those words, you know, how painful that is, right? I, I think about conversations where, you know, maybe a, a parent dies and where, man, this, this close relationship that I had is gone. Or, or maybe we've been there where we lose a job and, and we lose a friend, you know, where everything we've been working for is taken away from us. You got to imagine these disciples who had given years of their life, they're, they're this man that they loved dearly was taken from them. Where is your headspace in that moment? 
Man, is it going to, yeah, well, I guess we'll just keep moving along. Or is it like, how do I even wake up? How do I even get out of bed? Everything that I've been working for is, seems like it's gone. You ever been in that moment? Here's Jesus, and what does he say? He says, peace be with you. And he says it twice. Now, how do we have peace? How do we have peace in this moment? We have peace in this moment because Jesus conquers death and he comes back and he says, hey, where you want to be, I will take you there. I will level the playing field. Where there is a mountain, I will bring it down. Where there is a valley, I will lift it up. Where there is desert, I will make a highway. I can bring you where your heart ultimately longs to be. I can connect you again to God because guess what? I conquered death. Peace I give you. This morning, do you need to give your fear to Jesus? It's easy to be afraid. Man, we live in a, a world where there's all kinds of things to be afraid of. Just open up any news source and, man, you, that'll give you heart palpitation. There's all kinds of reasons to be afraid. There's all kinds of reasons to not want to get out of bed. There's all kinds of reasons to be filled with anxiety and depression. But a conquer Jesus means, hey, I'm going to take you where your heart longs to be. And when you know that that's true, you get all kinds of peace. Lastly, and we'll wrap it up with this. I promise you I'd be a little quicker this week. We see Thomas. And a risen Jesus takes him ultimately from a place of doubt to a place of belief. And we pick this up in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands and the mark of his nails, the place my finger and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. I mean, that's pretty bold, right? Like if all of your closest friends say, I witnessed something, I'd like to think at some point that I could be convinced. But here's Thomas, I will never believe unless I see it for myself. Eight days later, first of all, I love that Jesus waited eight days. I just... You have to believe that that came into play later in conversation. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. There's that phrase again. I'm bringing you peace where you have fear. And i got to just picture Thomas in this setting. I, I have to wonder what his face looked like. I feel like I've got the image in my mind. 27, he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And again, again if, if John wanted to, he could have easily just written out this story and said, Jesus rose from the dead. You need to believe in him. Because he paid for all of your sin and he gives you eternal life. He could have said that. And we get some of the other gospel writers that spell that out and a lot more, you know, eloquent speech than that. You get to a guy like Paul who in the book of Romans just spells it out very systematically and says, this is what it means. But I love what John does. Because here's John. He says, hey, here's what the risen Jesus does. The risen Jesus finds Mary Magdalene and he takes her from a place of sorrow and he gives her all the hope in the world. I love the risen Jesus because he goes to the disciples who had lost everything. And, and he knows what it's like for humanity to lose everything. For us in, in all of our angst and fear to say, man, I don't know how I'm going to take a step forward. And he says, Jesus gives you all of his peace right there. 
And then the last one is he knows what it's like for people to be in doubt and disbelief. And by nature, I kind of resonate with Thomas. I'm just kind of a naturally skeptical person. I've shared this a ton of times, but I'm just naturally someone who's like, yeah, I want to see it for myself. I want to experience it for myself. And I love that, Jesus, that, that John in his writing recognizes that for thousands of years, people will want that. And he says, hey, you know, I understand that just believing isn't necessarily super easy. And so he meets Jesus, or Jesus meets Thomas in his doubt, in his fear, in his disbelief. And I would say, man, if you're in that spot where you're just struggling with doubt about, I mean, the whole thing, and there's a thousand places to have doubt, right? God, do you, do you exist? Maybe. God, if I believe that you exist, do you know who I am? And if you know who I am, do you care about me? And if you care about me, do you have any causal power in my life? Like, do you, or is it just kind of all out there where you kind of see it all, but you, you don't have a lot of individual interaction in my life? I love how he meets Thomas right where he is. And he says, hey, put your hand on my side. Sometimes I, I think Jesus meets us where we are. And sometimes like we, we need to put our hand right there and say, Jesus, like this is what I'm struggling with. And just call it out and just say, I'm struggling with doubt here. Would you meet me here? Very often when we're very specific like that, God will meet us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And ultimately, as we shut it down for today, I'm going to go back all the way to Isaiah where 700 years before Jesus comes, he recognizes that very often in life, we're in a place where we're not where we want to be. We're in a place where we see a future, a future ultimately here where we're with God. And we long for that. We all want to be with God. But man, it feels like there is a chasm between where we are and where we want to be. And a resurrected Jesus does one thing. It makes straight a highway for the Lord to take us from where we are to where we want to be. And we see this in three different stories. And we're going to see it next week with a few more but how beautiful it is that this promise was made that ultimately when Jesus raises from the dead, he brings us to the Father. We're going to pray. We're going to wrap it up. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the story of John that you were there and that you know the hearts of men, that you know the hearts of women, that you know our fears, that you know our insecurities, that you know what it's like to be somewhere and to long to be somewhere else. And I thank you for the promise that Jesus is the one who's going to come, who is going to level every mountain. And we all have mountains in the way. Who's going to raise up every valley. And and I know so many of us struggle with different valleys. In the desert, God, you will smooth the rough places. And ultimately we know that this will be fulfilled when we're in heaven with you. And we'll look back on the struggles right now and we'll say, man, that that valley was there, that mountain was there. But Jesus, you prepared that way by taking me away from under the law of Moses and giving me grace upon grace. God, if there's anyone right here in our church who doesn't fully understand grace upon grace, I just pray that they would find someone this week, find someone after service and say, hey, tell me more about this grace upon grace. What does it mean to get to where my heart longs to be? Because my heart has longings in Jesus. That longing exists because you've put it there. And the only way to fulfill those longings are to know you and to know you as risen Jesus. Thank you for your life and your death. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, 
where you'll find ways to engage, including resources like our application questions. Thanks again for listening.